We have been talking the entire month in a series called This Is Us about relationships. And uh, so this morning we want to kind of wrap that up. Um, We are, um, if you remember um, early on in our conversation at the first of the year, we talked about the last Sunday of the month we were keeping kids down with us. So we're going to try to keep a short service on that last Sunday of the month. But we want to get them used to being in a regular service. We want to get you used to having them around. And we're going to have them participating in the services as well. So there's some things they're going to be doing um, this month. The, they're actually going to be receiving our offering at the end of the service today. They're going to be our usher takers. And uh, I've already heard that Paige is planning on standing at each chair until somebody puts something in. So be prepared because we, you know, we're going to stand here. We're, I think we're going to let women take offering more often because I'm pretty sure you guys can get more out of us. So um, just want to let you know kind of what we're doing today and why we're doing it. All right. Here we are, intentional relationships today. I want to talk about the idea of being intentional in your relationships. I think most of us, when it comes to the relationships we have in life, we're very non-intentional. What what we are is we're, we're just whatever happens, then we work with that. And let me give you a good a good start for that. You didn't choose the family you were born into. You didn't have anything to do with it. It's just you being born into a family. And so how do we have intentional relationships with a family that we didn't choose, that sometimes are difficult? Let's face it, sometimes our parents, our grandparents, those people are not the people that we would, as adults or even older teens, choose to be around because of some of the way they care, handle their character. I, I will tell you this. <laughs> There's an awful lot of parents that wish their children would behave differently. And I'm not talking about just little. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about children that can't make choices and decisions. I'm talking about adult children. The, the greatest difficulty that I see in church today in the church body that I deal with, in the churches that I talk to, and the people I talk to, are the relationships between parents and their adult children. It is is becoming epidemic that grandparents are having to raise grandchildren because parents aren't parenting anymore. That's just become a reality. Um, that, That generational idea of 18 to 35 just kind of, I still want to be a child and do what I want, but I'm going to have adult freedoms. And so these make it difficult for us to have intentional relationships sometimes. We have to work at our intentional relationships. Um, I want to tell you that that Jesus was no different. He gave us a great example of how to be intentional in our relationships with family. That's the first thing I want to talk about today is family. How do we have intentional relationships with our family? Um, I don't know if you remember the scriptures well enough or not, but um, there's, time, there's not a lot of information about Jesus as he's coming up in his early days um, through his life. Most of what we read is from about 30 years old on when he first comes onto the scene as, as the Son of God. As God is beginning to, to move in his life with the baptism of John and, and going forth as the Lamb of God. 
But there's some things that you see in there, even with his family in these, in these events in this time frame, this two or three year period. Um, one of the things we see is at the very end of his life with his mom, um, evidently somewhere in this period between about 12 years old, when we have a record of that, we'll talk about that in a minute, but we have a record of, of his dad still being alive at about 12. But the next time you see him, um, there's no mention of Joseph in those that, around 30 years old. So somewhere between 12 and 30, something happened to Joseph. More than likely, Joseph died. I can't imagine Joseph leaving the family. Now, Joseph was around enough for Jesus to have multiple brothers and sisters. We're, we're, there's a, there's a much recording that he had a, a fairly you know, normal family of that, that day and time. So somewhere in there, though, Joseph passes away. And at the end of Jesus' life, the very end of his life, hanging on the cross, about to die, one of the interactions we see is Jesus having an interaction with his mom and about his mom and how he is going to care for her in a very human way in that time frame. The Bible says that that uh, they were that he was on the cross and that they had they, this is where they just uh, taken and gambled over his coat they didn't want to split it up and they were gambling over his coat he had been on the cross for hours now and at at the foot of his cross um, are several people the bible says in john 19 standing by the cross of jesus were his mother his mother's sister mary the wife of cleophas and mary magdalene four women and when jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there uh, if you know anything about Scripture, this is probably John. Um, and it's interesting that John was writing this, and John called himself the disciple Jesus loved. I can just imagine all the other disciples thought, yeah, teacher's pet. You know, but John, John felt very connected to Jesus, felt that, that God loved him in a very intentional way. And so John is standing there with these four women at the crucifixion. And in a very human way a very human interaction he's thinking about how his mom's going to be taken care of when he's gone he he's 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 brokenhearted over leaving her and so it says when he saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there he said to his mother woman here is your son and then he said to the disciple here is your mother and i love what the scripture says from that hour the disciple took her into his home Jesus had a very intentional conversation about how to take care of his mom in a very human way. This is, there, there's, there's not a lot of spiritual depth in this conversation. There's, there's much that can be applied. But what he's doing is looking out for somebody in his family. He's, he's concerned about what their needs will be. And a woman in that society, if she doesn't have family, she has nothing. There's, there's not a state system set up to care for her. I wonder how much time we spend thinking about our parents as they get older, as our children as they get older. How intentional are we in doing and giving them the tools they need for life? How intentional 
Young parents, let me ask you, how intentional are you today in preparing your young children for life? The truth of the matter is it's easy just to kind of go through life and the kids just grow up and suddenly they're up and they're, they're old enough to give you trouble and then they're old enough to get out and give everybody else trouble and, and life just goes on. But how intentional are you in spending time with teaching your children a good work ethic? How to, how to be honest, how to live, how to interact with other people, how to take difficulty and disappointment because I promise you life is going to give it to them. How intentional are you in your relationships with your family? I think the most important thing we see in Jesus' life with his family is not so much taking care of them in this life, though. If you'll remember, that's one of the few times that he dealt with in a very human way. He was always seemingly pushing them to think spiritually about life. From a very early age, Luke 2 tells us that every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. So Mary and Joseph take the family and they go to, to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Passover. And after those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 12-year-old boy doing what 12-year-old boys do, get lost in the crowd, go do their own thing. But his parents didn't know it. Assuming he was traveling in the party, the group of family that was there, they went a whole day's journey. Then they began looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days of walking around the city of Jerusalem, they found him in the temple complex sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. My parents would have been enraged, but his parents were astonished. Said, and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Why would you do this to us? So your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Notice the question he asked. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? She just said, your dad and I were looking for you. And he said, no, didn't you, don't you? You know who I am. If anybody understood who he was, it was Jesus and Mary. Mary understood that he was the Son of God. And he said, i got to be about my father's business. I have to be about spiritual concerns. And he begins to push the family that way. At 12 years old, he begins to move the family to spiritual thought. Later in his life, during this three-year period of walking on the earth, Jesus is with his disciples and he's ministering and he's doing the things that needs to be done. In, in, in his ministry. And as he is uh, gathered together with some people um, at a house and he's beginning to, to, to share the gospel and he's sharing his message and there's, there's people crowded in around him, which was always the case. The Bible says in Matthew 12 that while he was still speaking to the crowds, when suddenly his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Now, there's several other passages and other different books that, that talk about the same incident and the indication kind of seems to be that they kind of came because 
he was causing such a stir in the community that the brothers and mom were there to kind of get him out because he was really being uh, disruptive to the religious crowd. It was becoming a problem. And so they show up and they're watching and said, Somebody came to him and said, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Notice how he replies. And again, this wasn't just for the people in the room. This was speaking to his own mom and and brothers. He replied to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. Why would Jesus speak what would seemingly be kind of such a cold and impersonal thing to his, to his family? Because he is trying to focus them on spiritual things. He's trying to help them see that there's more to life than just mom and daddy. And making money and living life. There's eternity to be thinking about. And so he's focusing them. So let me ask you, in your family. Look, he was 12. Now, yeah, you say, well, he was Jesus. Okay, well, if you're born again, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, I don't care if you're 12 or 30 or 80. Are you working to focus your family? in their direction on spiritual things? Are you working to focus your family to think about spiritual concerns? Are you having intentional conversations, maybe with them or in their presence with others, that guide them to think eternally, not just about what's going on around them today? How intentional are you having conversations with your family not just family but there ought to be intentional conversations with other believers we've talked a lot about our interaction this month with believers one of the reasons we're having this friday night worship night is so that we can have other people from other churches come in and fellowship with us so that we can be interactive with other believers and be encouraged by other believers be strengthened by other believers. Be challenged by other believers. I, I know you find this probably hard to believe. But I don't have all the answers. I don't even think I have all the answers. There, there's probably some things in Scripture I don't understand properly. There might be other churches and other doctrines that are within those churches that that I might be challenged with that would encourage me to grow in my depth as my walk with Jesus. You know, look, there's, there's, there are umpteen 11 churches in this town. I mean, there are all kinds of different denominations around here. We all say we focus on one thing, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came from heaven, He was born of a virgin, He lived a perfect, sinless life, For 30 years, he did ministry for about two and a half or three years on this earth. He died a sacrificial death for mankind. 
And for everyone, and then, then as he, after he died, he was raised again on the third day. And everyone that would put their faith and trust in that fact would be born again by the Spirit of God, that God the Spirit would come to live in them, and that they would be a part of the body of Christ. I guarantee you, every church up and down this row at some level says that same exact thing. And then we add all kinds of other stuff onto it. And some of that other stuff really matters. And some of that other stuff is just useless waste of time. And, and, and listen, we're the same as they are. Some of the stuff we focus on probably doesn't need to be focused on here as much. Some of the stuff we focus on is essential to your walk with Christ. But how can they bless me and benefit me? How can I bless them and benefit them? You know, just because we go to different churches, just because we don't agree on the same flavors all the time, doesn't mean that we shouldn't learn from one another. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't encourage one another. Listen, part of what we need to do is instruct one another. Throughout the scriptures, as you see Paul going through um, in, in the book of Acts, he came across people who were believers and he would ask them certain questions about understanding who God was and how God worked in the, the church as it was being laid the foundations for. And many times people would say, well, we don't know anything about that. And he said, well, let me tell you about it. And he would begin to impart to them truth. And, and you know, we need to impart truth to one another. There's some folks out there that may be in places they're not getting what they need. You can be a part of that spiritual conversation. But here's what you got to do. you got to be intentional. You can't just, hey, well, they're, they're going to heaven. They're good. Yeah, they got all they need. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us, he said, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. He told that church at, at Thessalonica, look, you're doing a good job, but keep doing it. So I want to say to you, church, you're doing a good job, but keep doing it. Who are you building up? What other believers are you pouring into your life, into their life, whether it be in our church or in our community? Are you growing somebody else? We always talk about the chain, that you're a link in a chain. There ought to be somebody stronger, more spiritual than you that you're holding on to and you're learning from. There ought to be somebody that's less spiritual, maybe a little weaker in faith, that you're pulling along with you. Where are you in the chain? 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth, which always catches a lot of flack for, for the way they were. I think they'd probably be a great New Testament 21st century Keystone Heights church because they got all the kind of mess we got. He said to that church, he said, So you also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. And this particular passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is actually one of the passages where he's talking about the gift of tongues, of speaking in different languages. If you read the passage, depending on where you fall in the dynamic of what you believe about the gift of tongues, what you believe that people can speak, whether it's talking just about other language or whether it's talking about some heavenly language that would be unknown to human tongue, it's irrelevant to me which one of those you fall into. Because 
he, he spends this long, several chapters talking about this. And he says at the end that they're zealous for spiritual gifts. And look, man, you're hungry to be spiritually moved and motivated. You want God working in you. That's great. Seek to excel in building up the church. If you're looking for spiritual gifts in your life so that it can build you up, so you look better, so you're smarter, you know more, you've got more information, yeah, that's useless. How are you building up the church? What intentional relationships do you have? We're doing all we can to try to get you connected either with the app or online with the webpage to weekly go through... And, and to be doing these verses, doing these questions with us together. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in the last week did at least one day you read through the verses and, and the questions and, and worked on it? Half a dozen. Half a dozen. That's great. Thank you. That's awesome. A half a dozen. There's more than a half a dozen us here. How can we build one another up? We're trying to build you up. We're trying to encourage you. We're trying to strengthen you. We're trying to help you. We're tr- I, I want to have a conversation. I, want, I wish, here's what I would love for next Sunday. I'd love for next Sunday when we stand up to talk about the questions, somebody to say, you know, I didn't really understand that question. And let's spend a few minutes talking about it. So do we, can we do that in church? Absolutely. We can do that in church. I'd love for somebody to say, hey, man, I read this passage and I read this scripture and I couldn't believe what it said. I'd never seen that before. That was so awesome. It encouraged me. It strengthened me. It challenged me. Why not? I'm trying not to look at Allison because we're laughing. Allison's been doing some great stuff lately with her son. He's, he's playing, what, soccer? Yeah, basketball. Basketball. He, he's played basketball at one of the local churches that has a, an upwards program, who I'm sure it's, who it's through. Part of what they do is they have this little, little booklet that they have to do homework every week. And it's memorized verses and they ask some questions. And she's been having to do his homework with him and read it with him. And she's been like, this is really cool, man. This is awesome. She texts me and she'll say, this stuff's pretty awesome. I'm like, yes, it is. Read it more often. but it's listen it's those kind of questions that provoke us to conversation to where we can have some intentional relationships together to build up the body listen if you're just showing up to church to mark it off on your list and say you came to church and so that god's going to put a little little stamp by your name up on the chart in heaven and, and you're going to have a blessed week because of that stay home and get some sleep Go shopping, because that ain't happening. But if you're going to come and gather together so that you can be built up in your faith and challenged in your faith, and so you can build up somebody else and challenge somebody else, show up by all means, because that's what this is all about, building up the body of Christ. One of the best ways you can build one another up is to love on each other. Romans 12 says, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Maybe this ought to be our memory verse for the year. Outdo one another in showing honor. Wouldn't it be cool 
if we just went out of our way to try to outdo one another in showing honor this year? I mean, I'm just going to do, like, I'm going to, like, go get rent a billboard, and I'm going to, yay, Allison, she's doing homework with her kids, spiritual homework. You know, I'm going to lift up and shout and praise, and hallelujah, Scott, coming up with ideas for stuff he wants to do. I get texts all the time, hey, let's try this, let's try that. You don't think that blesses your pastor's heart? To know that somebody's interested and encouraged in trying to build up the men of our church? Listen, outdo one another in showing honor. Other believers, our, our human family, our spiritual family, but that's not it. That's not all by any means. There's one other group that you ought to be doing everything you can to have intentional conversations with. People you know that don't know the Savior you know the lost those who are spiritually separated from god i'm going to tell you the greatest way that's going to happen is when you begin to realize that every single human being you know that does not have a relationship with jesus christ if they die today they will spend an eternity separated from God in a place he calls hell. I didn't make it up. This was God's plan. Every single person you know, the people you don't like, the people you love, the people you work with, the people you go to the grocery store with, the people in your neighborhood, there are tens of thousands of people in our community that if they died today would die without Christ and die spending eternity separated from him in a place called hell my question to you is what are you doing what am I doing to have intentional relationships with them let me tell you what it's going to take it's going to take genuine compassion on your part a real love for people you say but i don't even like people well that's okay you don't have to like them because <laughs> i'm in the ministry and for the most part i don't like people Amen. <laughs> i you know let's face it people are aggravating aren't they i mean they just frustrate you to no end but when you love them when you have compassion when you understand where they are, it's where you used to be. And if somebody hadn't told you the message. And here's the, here's the hope of this. Here's the great message in this. Is that God didn't tell you to save them. He told you to tell them. He'll do the saving. He is faithful to do the saving. But if you'll just share the message of the gospel... Share the truth of the gospel. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Listen, see if this doesn't sound like compassion to you. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, the truth of the gospel. Put that in there. He will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves, carrying along those 
who have, he has shared the gospel with that came to Christ, that came to faith in Christ. Let me tell you what's going to move you. It's going to be compassion for understanding that, that somebody did for you what God intends for you to do for somebody else. Paul, talking to the church at Ephesus in the book of Acts, he said that, I know that none of you will ever see my face again. Everyone I went about preaching to the kingdom to. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood. What he said is, I spent time in your city and I spent time. Paul, the scriptures tell us Paul spent about three years in Ephesus. Once he went and started the church and he came back on his missionary journey, he spent a long time with them building that church up. And he said, man, I'm going to miss you guys. I'm not going to see your face. But I want you to know I am innocent of the blood of the folks of Ephesus. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Let me ask you a question. I just want you to think about this for a minute. Will you be able to say to God, I'm innocent of the blood of Keystone Heights? Because I didn't hold back. I passionately shared the truth of who Jesus was. Okay, maybe that's a little too big, okay? That's a little, that's, that's big. You know, I don't know what road you necessarily live on. I can't remember all the roads. What is it, Maranatha, Mark? No. What's your road number? What's your road? Berea. Berea. Yeah. <laughs> Berea. I stand innocent, God, for the lives on the Berea Road because I did not hold back from sharing the gospel, the whole plan of God. I stand innocent for the folks that live on Rayford Road in Stark because I did not hold back. I passionately pursued conversations with these people. I could not stand before God today and declare that because I have not passionately pursued relationship. I know my neighbors, both sides. But I, have, I can't tell you the man's name two doors down because the man that owned the house died and somebody else bought it. I don't know him. I see him mow his grass every now and then. I've never had a conversation with him. Absolutely, shame on me. What about your neighbors? What about your family? How would you feel if God was to look at you today and say, that brother, that sister, that mother, that father, that aunt, that uncle, that cousin, I'm calling them tomorrow. And you could stand completely humble before God and say, God, I have done all I can. I've prayed, I've declared the word of God to them. And I stand innocent. Or would you be like me? And have to say, oh God, give them another day. Give me an opportunity.
Listen, we're not in a vacuum. We live in a real, eternal world. And there's people that you know that need to be strengthened and encouraged. There's people you know that need to hear the gospel and need to be prayed for. What kind of intentional relationships are you walking through in 2020?